May I please have your full and undivided attention? It is time for the Paranormal Rundown. Greetings, paranormal fans, far and wide. My name is Cedric Dankwell-Smythe. I'm the transluminal, transtemporal, and psychic butler that works with the gang of nerds. You found your way to the Paranormal Rundown. You should be quite proud of that. It's an accomplishment. Tonight, the gang of nerds is going to discuss a great many topics, including M-Slews. That's spelled M-S-L-U-E. And it means multiple, symbolic, language-using entity. It may be that each of our minds is filled with demons from our very birth. Let's find out. Stick around. Fascinating stuff this evening. And once again, thanks for joining the Rundown. Okay. We are kind of the injured team tonight. Uh, Father Birdsong is dealing with some severe orthopedic pain. I'm still overcoming the uh, grandson illness from hell. JG hasn't had a day off since 1911. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, what's your infirmary? Come on, you, infirmity. You I've got, got neck pain and fatigue. Neck pain and fatigue. Okay, so everybody, I'm just going to leave that in. So this is your paranormal rundown team showing our incredible devotion to bringing you the very best in random paranormal dork talk. Uh, because we've got considerable illness here. But that's nothing, you know, it's like neither rain nor sleet nor dark of night nor uh, just, you name it is going to stop these appointed, what are we, uh, carriers from uh, from finishing our uh, given rounds. But More the show must go on. Condition. The show must go on. Okay, so let's bring up. The Paranormal Rundown list, which I have cheated, and it's now at 1,668. I said uh -oh. I was, was going to leave it at 1,668. <laughs> I knew. I knew you couldn't stop. <laughs> but it is now at 1,668, and we'll probably get bigger. All right. I'm going to hit the F9 key. One, two, three, four, five. I guess this is as good a time as any to discuss a continuing uh, issue that Dave and I have. <laughs> I've set the number of topics that we'll talk that we'll bring into the world as six. Dave thinks we should do fewer. Um and so uh I guess I'll split the baby um and uh we'll do six one time, we'll do three the next time and um I'm not above cheating. <laughs> so Hey, you're in charge of the list, right? All I can do is make suggestions. That's it. <laughs> okay, here we go. The first six entries in the Paranormal Rundown are... One, Haunted Objects. Two, Scotland, the Big Gray Man. Three, Any Cryptid Encounters in this group. Four, The Infernal Court. Number five, Our, exercise, our Exorcisms Becoming More Difficult. 
And six, Einstein's brain. I, 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 I like this movie. This? It's a good uh, I like almost everything on there. Yeah. yeah I let's like, not like tackle the exorcism one. All right, let's talk about it. Are exorcisms becoming more difficult? And if so, why? Why? That's a... I, I think that's a very good question, but um, right away, I would say, yes, they are, and uh, kind of like what we were talking about last night, once uh, once you open a door and you start dealing with the demonic realm, I mean, you, you only have to look at the Gospels, and where Christ even cast out the demon from the demoniac and then we hear the story that that you know the house must be swept but not only swept that the demon can find the house not clean when it comes back now what what does that mean once once the demoniac is free from said demon uh the house has been swept right well that does not necessarily mean that the house is clean and uh and in the statement by which i say clean is it's 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 not a one-stop shop place right uh you have to keep going you have to keep working and you have to not willingly walk back into the same life that you just got delivered from so if you so in other words if you invite the entity back and then all of a sudden uh oh I don't want it anymore is the exorcisms do become harder so so when you say they're they've become harder so I think maybe and Vic correct me when I if I'm wrong on this but this is referring to over time exorcisms have gotten harder to do Right, the, the first time, right, and I, I know that there's uh, there's I, I think Malachi Martin, Father Malachi Martin, had something on this, right? Didn't he? Where he was at a certain point, there's a theory that there was some sort of ritual done at the Vatican, and after that point, exorcisms have become harder to do. Now. Nobody, you can't pin them down and they'll say, yes, that was done, right? But what you can get a a lot of modern exorcists in the Catholic Church is to say, yeah, they're harder than they were 20 years ago or 40 years ago. Have you found that yourself? Yes, sir, because, uh, and I'm speaking strictly of my opinion now, Mm -hmm. but there you you don't have to look far to understand and see that there's been a greater influx of demonic influence, especially in our country. I mean, all all you have to do is look around. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Malachi Martin even hit on that too. Uh, uh, as, as from case to case, some would be harder, but, but from now, from, from this point of 2024 and 20 years ago, Oh yeah, it's it's the the demonic is more in your face and more bold and more rash. I, I I'll put it to you this way: the the American people have given the enemy more power. 
Oh, I think so. Agreed. So I mean, so when you have when you have pastors and quote unquote church people that uh, has fulfilled the great prophet C.S. Lewis by not believing in the devil, he's 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 just gained a lot more power, right? And so with us giving him that power in a greater influx of the demonic forces, well, of course that's going to be harder. So when you hear about exorcisms, when you read about exorcism in the Bible, right, it's a, hey, leave, and they're gone, right? right. I mean, it's an, it's an immediate thing. And then over time, it seems like, well, the right was put together, the right was followed, and, and maybe it took one or two times to go through the right and before an exorcism would be complete. And now you've got, you know, I know some exorcists say it's pretty common to have a year or two years of repeated sessions of performing the right before an exorcism is complete. So what has your experience been like with that when, you, you know, you started this 30 years ago versus today? Did, was it like 30 years ago it might be, hey, a month, and now it's three? What, what's that like? Uh, well, I, I have to be honest and say they, they have gotten harder. I mean, uh, uh, one of the cases that we talked about not too long ago, I, I told you that it was one of the hardest that I've ever had. And, and... Uh, but also with the enemy gaining more power these days because, because we've given him power really. But, and, and, but before I, before I forget to say this, let, let me remind you that every case is different. It, sure. it really depends on the power of the demon or if there's legion or just one. So, uh, and very rarely, very rarely. These days, is there ever just one? And that's another problem, too. But I, I forgot where I was going all of a sudden. Well, but, hey, but, JJ, but it, let me, okay, I was going to ask ahead. JJ, I, I know he's talked to to folks that from, from a Christianity standpoint, from uh, a Buddhist standpoint, from different religions— is that a? I wonder if that's a thing that you've seen in your interviews, JJ, with with that, where they like think it's gotten harder. It's a good question. I haven't specifically asked that question to people involved. However, I haven't. I most certainly haven't met anyone who has claimed that it has ever been an easy task. Absolutely and I would not. say that at least nowadays, you know, one, and I think Father Mike has always been famous for saying you can't cast out mental illness. And one of the things that the church has always been, at least nowadays, really good at is making people undergo both physical and mental evaluations to ensure that it there's not a more mundane reason why someone may be afflicted and what that affliction might be. 
So, you know, exorcism has become, it's, I mean, uh, for example, one of the documentaries that we happened to watch on our Discord server was uh, a set of exorcisms that was done in Italy. And if you look at that, you would think nothing of it. Like, it wasn't difficult. It, it was more around managing parishioners and assisting them with their lives. And when there was a quote-unquote demonic influence, there was nothing to distinguish it. And there was no really, not a whole lot of effort in trying to make sure it wasn't anything but that. If you take... If so, if you have that kind of a situation, it was easy to cast that out because mm -hmm. it more than likely wasn't demonic in nature. But now that we are limiting the pull and possibly getting to the root of the issue, that is definitely going to make you know you're getting rid of the of the easy uh, path and you're limiting it to only the infernal and in that case yeah I think it's making the true difficulty of that shine through I know that was a long circuitous path to get to my point so forgive me no but it makes sense well I thought, I thought you did it pretty well I even want to back that up because. I mean, 30 years ago, um, yes, it was easier, but 30 years ago, I was, I was even never physically attacked either. And within the past two years, uh, I have been physically attacked. And uh, recently, um, had curses put on me. So it is, it, it is, it is, it is ramping up. And, uh, that's why I liked, uh, JJ's, uh, podcast the other night because he, he states about what the exorcist himself goes through. And, uh, so it is, it is, it is very hard. It, it is a very taxing process. And you, you lose a part of yourself each time. And with the way that it's getting harder and harder and harder, uh, we're probably going to regress back to very much fewer people that operate in the Office of Exorcist once again. Simply because they are not going to want to tackle such difficult, dangerous things? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'd say also you also have a, a shrinking pool of of priests who have supernatural faith. Priests who would be willing right. to do that. Right. I, I want to ask a logistical question. And I once again take it back to the clinical world. Uh, cancer. When a person gets cancer and they are cured of that cancer, although that word really is hardly ever used in the care of cancer. Uh, when that cancer is placed into remission, uh, it's no longer considered to be an active process. It's almost as if the cancer wants to return. And I know that seems like a really odd thing to say, attributing will to a disease. But 
I've always thought that it must there must be something like that when you're dealing with with possession that if if a demon is forced from a person's mind body being there is there the will on the part of that demon to return to that particular person the demon always wants a host mm-hmm. and if 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 he could find his former host in a weaker state mm-hmm. uh, than they were before, mm-hmm. oh, he's he's going to want to go right back, and he wants vengeance too. I mean, that's that's just that's just uh, to quote Iron Maiden from back in the eighties. That's just the that's that's just the nature of the beast, man. Uh, they don't like you. They want to destroy you. If, if they could, if they could kill you, they'd do it, and that's what they want. So, especially you, uh, you, uh, you are mentioned cancer patients. If a cancer patient happens to be uh, possessed and then and then gains cancer and gives up on everything and becomes very spiritually weak, they're open target again. Unfortunately, it's uh, kind of like. <laughs> Uh, JJ made another good point on his podcast. He said, "He said once the parasite has entered, it's very hard to get it out. And if that wound is not cleaned up, then you're going to have more parasites coming, even more than you did the first time." And I suppose that to a certain degree, it's not something you ever fully heal from right? There is always going to be a part of you that is permanently changed from having been possessed. Oh, yeah, that's that's the nature of man. That's, that's, that's who we are. It'll always be there. That, that emotional scarring will always, right. I mean, you, you may go on and have a good and natural life, but, but that emotional scar, that, that stigma of what happened to you Yo, yo, yo! You will never forget that, unless some by, unless by some divine miracle of God, and He erases that from your mind. Right, it'll always be there. Well, we're on a cheerful start tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 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 Josh wrote something down uh, back to the original question, and I won't. I'll, I want him to share it right quick. Hey, Josh. All right, so why exorcisms are weaker now? It's because the exorcist power comes from Christ to the church. But if the church is weak, then so is the exorcist. Hmm. And Francis just made the church very weak. If the people in the world are letting them in and if the afflicted are accepting them in, then... This is going to make it even weaker. Well, we're talking eliminating home court advantage. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, you you essentially talk about wanting to make sure you have home court advantage. Oh, by, yeah. yeah. By bringing people into the church. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, uh, that situation flip-flopped, which I thought it would. 
the the situation with Paula. Paula, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's back to uh, uh, me wanting to come, her wanting me to come to her home. I said, "Well, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Sorry." So that's an interesting idea that the exorcist is. And I wouldn't have thought about it that way. The exorcist is dependent to a certain degree on the strength of the church. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Instead of the, you know, the direct relationship with Christ. Because well, I, I, think I, both I don't of those think are of it factors. in terms of the church. I, I think of it in terms of, I mean, I know from a Catholic perspective, you've got authority permission given by the bishop and so on, but I've always thought of it, I guess, in terms of the exorcist's relationship with God and the strength is from God. I I never thought about the church sort of in the middle of that. And the reason why is you, 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 you cannot have one without the other, right? I mean, Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. So, so they are, they are, they are one in the same. And the Holy Scriptures teach us, without fail, that that there is order within the bride of Christ. Christ is the head, and then you have, and, and then you have the church itself. And we're all knitted together as one. And each one uh, has their gifts. Each one has their callings. Each one has their office, but they all operate through the kingdom authority given by Christ. So the with Christ being the head, uh, the church is the head as well. Now, the church is not going to, well, most of them are not going to deny you helping anyone, okay? Let's go ahead and get that, get that settled. But if you, if you step out, of bounds, if you, if you if you step out of that circle of authority of Christ in the church, uh, you're 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 stepping out from under the protection of God's covenant or or that or that umbrella of protection. If that makes sense to you, sure, you're you're and, and, more or less and, on and, your own. Well, see, see, Christ told Peter, and I say to thee, thou art Peter. And upon this upon rock, I will build my church, my church right? Mm-hmm. And the gates of hell will not prosper against it. So, so, so Peter was, uh, uh, Lord, my Latin is terrible. Vicarus Christi, right? He, when, when Christ was ascended into heaven, Peter became the very first bishop, so to speak. Sure. He was, he was the head of the, Church. He was the head of the bride, and so and so that connection is still there. And if you step out of that circle, so to speak, uh, if I'm a quarterback and I run away from my blockers, I'm gonna get knocked down, right? <laughs> yes. So, so same same difference, you know. Well, but, I mean, all right. Let me let me go down that path in okay. the in the. Arthurian legends, uh, there's the idea of the land needing a king, 
You know, if the land is existing without a king, it's a barren and horrible place. Uh, exactly. The legitimate king is there. The land prospers. The people prosper. Or, you know, you know, food, plenty, children, the whole bit. Um, I guess one could make an analogy of, uh, you know, the the Pope uh, Tuas Petra. You know, you are Peter. Mm-hmm. You exist in the state of Peter. You exist in the office of Peter. Um, well, and if a is, I mean, it was certainly would be it certainly was in the Arthurian legends possible for a king to behave in a way that was not befitting the king of England. I assume it's past possible for a pope to behave in a way that is not befitting the office of Peter. Well, uh, just as just as that king could divorce himself from his people, Francis today divorced himself from the church. Well, it seems like to me. And and uh, and you you can always go back. Going outside of the church, I put that, excuse me, as uh, St. Chrysostom said. You cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. Oh, okay. Which saint was this? Which saint was this? Chrysostom. Okay. John Chrysostom. Have to get Avalon to talk about that some. Absolutely, <laughs> but uh, but 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 that is a that that's a that's a great analogy. You know, I can't proclaim God is my father if the church is not my mother, because the church is the bride. Hello, this is Avalon Leanne Dankworth Smythe. I've been silent for quite a while now. And quite honestly, it's wearing on me. But I've used that silent time to learn more about the lives, character, and teaching of the saints. John Chrysostom is one of my very favorites. He was without a doubt a righteous dude. He was known for being a great speaker, for his philanthropy, and for his strong stance against the abuses of both the church and the state. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople, somewhat against his will, from 397 until his death in 407 AD, or CE depending on your preference. How about a quote from this sainted Archbishop? For Christians above all men, are forbidden to correct the stumblings of sinners by force, it is necessary to make a man better not by force but by persuasion. We neither have authority granted us by law to restrain sinners, nor... If it were, should we know how to use it, since God gives the crown to those who are kept from evil, not by force, but by choice? So, I'll, I'll um, sometimes the rundowns, man, they just hop off like a race car from a uh, starting line. Sometimes they take a while to get going. Right. Um, and that's just human nature. I am not in any way psychic. I am not someone who has uh, I don't even think any particular degree of discernment but I I do sort of seem to feel things you know and and I guess I'll relate the feeling to either a feeling of warmth and strength or coldness and weakness 
And usually when I go into the building of St. Joseph, which is the church that I go to, there's a very strong feeling of warmth and strength. And I have definitely noticed in the last three months that that feeling is far, far less powerful. Much more a feeling of mm, coldness and aloneness. Now, then I have to stop and say to myself, okay, Victor, are you sensing something wrong in the church? Or are you sensing something wrong in you? Uh, you know, that's the the question that a, a rational man has to ask themselves. <clears throat> and it could be a combination of both. But it's if the rest of the Catholic Church feels that kind of distance, I can't imagine that any kind of spiritual warfare would not be more difficult. Well, it's interesting because if you if you follow the train of thought that was laid out, which is the the exorcist gets a lot of their strength to perform that exorcism through the church, then what about the the consecration of the church ground? What about the the holy that are in the church? Does their strength wane as the church wanes in strength as well? And therefore, you would potentially feel it in a physical church, like it doesn't have the strength that it does before, because and I hate to use the word power, but the strength behind it is less because the church well, is less. Well, power power is the correct word. I mean, one of the main reasons why. Well, well, another main reason why the. We depend on the church and the reason why we depend on that order because it is the church's duty it is our duty your duty as part of the kingdom as part of the bride as part of, as a part of our local parishes it is our duty to first and foremost pray build up and strengthen one another mm-hmm. and and if i don't have that if i don't have that backing if I go out as a Bob Larson and want to do everything on my own and act stupid, uh, things are not going to turn out too well. But, but yes, I mean, if, 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 if we don't have that support that St. Paul teaches about, about the body being knitted together and each limb, each part having their own thing, mm-hmm. if, 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 if I'm a pinky finger and David's the forefinger, if my forefinger gets cut off, it's going to weaken my pinky finger tremendously. Now, why do I have to be the one that gets cut off? I, I, you just easy target or not? <laughs> easy target, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I I don't been cut off enough this week. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. To hear enough. He has paid at the office. Okay, I think we can probably come to a conclusion that the overall act of exorcism is becoming more difficult, probably for a, a number of reasons. And once again, that's probably a future. Um, 
roundup topic. Round, roundup topic, you know, is deeper, to, mm-hmm. you know, when people have t- had time to think about this. And I mean, it's almost a situation where there can almost be an empirical study. I mean, if we're if we're looking at the Vicar of Christ saying things like, well, maybe we just need to abandon this whole idea of Catholic theology, I think we can probably discern whether or not that has an impact on the day-to-day life of Catholics and Christians, period. I got one I got one more thing to say about that. Please, Please do. If you don't mind. Never. Be- before the quote-unquote Roman Catholic Church became the Roman Catholic Church, okay? Uh-huh. Let, let, let's, let, let's go back to Nicaea. When, when we all were the church. Uh-huh. So he's throwing away not only the Apostles' Creed, but the Dicey Creed and the Athanasius Creed and saying the hell with over 2,000 years of history and tradition and the Word of God. That's the only way I can put it. He's a heretic. Oh, I, I agree with you with that. I just, I, I sometimes find myself thinking, why did I get to be born right during this period of time? And I, I guess everybody can think can think that, you know, why was I born in a time when the world was going through X? Yeah. You know, World War II, World War One, Hiroshima, you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, no, nobody gets to be born into a world where things are going to be calm and happy and perfect their entire life. But I wasn't prepared for this. No, I, I think every generation is not prepared for something like this. I agree. But but if you look at history, and you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny that you just said that a while ago. Every generation has faced something like this. Mm-hmm. However, the church always came out victorious. Was it easy? Mm-mm. No. No. No, and, and I assume that eventually the church will come out victorious on this. But in this world, you have to think in centuries. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I ain't got a century. <laughs> well, <I don't> <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. I, you never I'm know, over, you know. I, I, I'm over halfway through mine, so I've only lived so. Yeah, but I know I don't have another century. Okay. Any uh, closing thoughts on that particular? All right. I'm going to move on then. I'll try this one. You guys tell me that I need to roll again. Uh, The first one is a thing that I came up with from some science fiction reading and writing that I've done. And it is uh, Sentient Stars. And I doubt if we're going to be talking about that. Uh, the second one is the screw tape letters, uh, mm. which is one of my favorite things. The third one is Star People. The fourth one is Forbidden Zones. The fifth one is Replicants, as in Blade Runner, and also in the philosophical implications thereof. And six is Right Down Dave's Alley, which is Paranormal Investigation Equipment. Well, let's talk about David's alley, or either the screw tape letters where J.J. can have fun. Oh, boy, he could really have fun with screw tape letters. I'd like to hear about the screw tape letters. We did a whole bunch of paranormal investigation stuff in the last episode. Let's. Have you read the screw tape letters, Dave? I haven't. This is why I'd like to hear about it. Okay. 
Go for it, JJ. It has been years, honestly, for me since I've read it. So I, yeah. I, I, I'll I give you the not. synopsis. I mean, the Screw Tape Letters is a, a book by C.S. Lewis. And it's a, I guess you would probably relate, uh, uh, categorize it as a comedy. You know, it, it's because it's written in a very. It's a dark comedy. You're it's, right. It's a dark, it, it's a dark comedy. Okay, and the 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 book is a series of letters between a low level demon and screw tape. Okay, and screw tape is the uh, the high level demon, and okay. most of his letters are to his what's this his nephew, right? Yeah, right to, yeah, to his nephew. What's the nephew's name? I that I do not remember. I'm not even sure that the nephew's name is ever given. Uh, it's just my dear nephew, this kind of thing. And most mm-hmm. of the letters are talking about how much he's screwing up. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, you you know, you've let you know a soul out of perdition. You, you've you know, you had your hooks in him. You were just ready to take him down, and then because you're such a lazy screw up. You know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. You know, this is a uh, uh, a soul that you've lost, and mm-hmm. I, I guess that's the general reasonable synopsis of the book. No, it is. That's a fantastic synopsis of it. Uh, <laughs> but really, the the whole point of it is how a demon could theoretically. Or in this case, I mean, in this use case, practically utilize human vice and lack of perception in order to snare their soul and bring it to hell. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is. It's an advice column for demons, which is funny, but, you know, you... It does provide some very deep insight, and that's why, even though for a comedy, it has regained, I mean, has retained a very loyal following and is constantly being rediscovered by each new generation that comes up because it offers a good bit of insight. Hello, this is Cedric Dankworth Smythe. I received an incredibly nice letter from Father Birdsong the other day, indicating that he would like to hear more of me, that I had been somewhat silent. He's right. Avalon has caused me such incredible turmoil lately. Uh, I don't know where that girl gets it. But I thought maybe, you know, in response to Father Birdsong's letter, I would read some of the best quotes from the Screwtape Letters. It really is an excellent read. I suggest you run out, post-haste, and pick up a copy. So, quote number one. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. Quote number two, speaking of God. When he talks of their losing their selves, 
He means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality, and boasts, I am afraid quite sincerely, that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. And quote number three, then I'll return you to the rundown. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well, up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and substantially more amusing. <laughs> well, well, one of the things through the letters that, that I saw, and I mean, you know, this is... this. This was always one of my own personal, um, I'll call it insights from it or personal revelations is, is that could it have been the nephew kept screwing up because, because screw tape was always on him. He never had anything good to say to him. Every, every letter was, you screwed up, you're worthless, you're bad. And, you know, when I read it, that that part just it it just it just got me thinking, and that's what made me become a, a, a Lewis lover, man. Because in his writings, he makes things so not only personal, but he touches that emotional level of each person as well. Uh, even even what what was the book in the play where? He became a believer and met his wife, and then his wife died. But it, what a beautiful journey they had together! Oh, you're talking uh, Shadow, uh, Shadowlands. 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 That was another one of my favorites because he he reaches out and grabs you, and in in those in those letters that we were talking about, it just hit me that you know nothing good. Well, I think one of the points that he was trying to to uh, to portray is nothing good ever comes with constant bashing, and that was part of the reason why this demon failed and let this soul get out of his grasp, so to speak. Does that make any sense whatsoever? It absolutely does. Uh, I don't ever do this, but I'm going to ask if I can. Can I read something? Yeah. Okay. Let me let me sure. let me give you. There's a whole trailer trash up terrorist episode about this. The most intelligent human being I've ever met uh, was also one of the more morally questionable beings I've ever met. Uh, human beings I've ever met. Uh, Fully aware of everything that he did, fully aware of his moral shortcomings, fully aware of what he was capable of being, and fully aware of what he was willing to be. His name was Al, and <coughs> he was an eighth grade dropout from uh, Arkansas. And But he was an eighth grade dropout walking around with a, an IQ of probably 180, 190, 200. You know, one of these guys that you really just can't measure how smart they are. I'm not that smart. And so he decided that he wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Well, he just didn't want to go through the trouble of becoming an aerospace engineer. You know, like 
going to some college somewhere and getting it admitted and getting a degree and taking tests and that kind of thing. So he decided that the best thing to do was to disappear into the New York Public Library for a couple of months, read everything he could find about aerospace engineering, teach himself the math, teach himself the physics, and then just come out and lie and tell people that he was an aerospace engineer. Now, as far as his knowledge went, he was an aerospace engineer. As far as any kind of piece of paper or credentials, no. But anyway, he was a, he was able to lie himself into actually working for NASA on the Apollo program. Wow. Now, is this true? Absolutely. Absolutely true. Wow. I'm 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 not going to lie to you, but I he wrote this wonderful essay called Smoke. And the essay is talking about you know, the thing I've talked to you about before, the the possibility that other language-using beings can exist within a human ba- brain other than the main language-using being. And what he's talking about is in this is as he became an aerospace engineer, as he began to work for NASA, he was tempted to do things that he shouldn't do. And he came to the point where he had to make a decision as to whether or not to sell his soul. Essentially, that's probably taking a little farther than I need to. But let me read you a paragraph. As Al's space science career progressed, his responsibilities grew. Increasingly, upper management pressured Al to hold a different kind of fire in his hands than that for which the sacred priesthood of mutually assured destruction had been trained. This was the ancient fire of secret dishonor, a calculated practice of at least falsifying evidence to cover up defects, if not over cheating and stealing from the company's two principal clients, both the thinly spread NASA oversight officials and the American taxpayers, whose distant interests NASA ostensibly upheld. He's a very strange writer also. The problem had nothing to do with burns to Al's hands. Certainly his hands were not made of asbestos. Yet if the cause was just, he was prepared to withstand more discomfort than most. The truth of the matter is that provincial Boy Scouts would rather serve in heaven than reign in hell. And you just can't pay Boy Scouts enough to knowingly play the corruption game. Such such obsessively moral and prideful souls lack desires of sufficient compulsion that in order to gain them, they will agreeably trade their honor and conspire with the damned. But as cunning old screw tape, letters from perdition so appropriately instructed his nephew Wormwood, that was his name, exciting entertainment staged slightly below the brink of hell's yawning chasm might so irresistibly attract a Boy Scout's innocent interest that he is likely to lean over the edge and then topple in headfirst, receiving no compensation at all. That's the only part I'm going to read because I don't like reading on things like this. But what he's talking about is, in his role as an aerospace engineer, he found himself in very morally compromising situations. The most morally compromising situation he found himself in was being asked to sign off on safety documents concerning the Apollo 1 capsule saying to them, look, you're using 100% oxygen atmosphere in a capsule that's not been fully designed. Got a real, real good chance of of uh, having a fire. And essentially, the response he got was, 
Well, Mr. Gage, do you enjoy your work here? Yes, very much. <laughs> well, you know, our contractor really, really needs this to go forward. Therefore, don't you think it's a good idea for you to sign off on these, on these safety documents? And he made the decision to do so. Made the decision to do so. And the result, and it wasn't just Gage, that was, in, that was under the control of screw tape at that point. It was hundreds of men. But what he says later, look, I was single. I had very, you know, I, I essentially had no children. I had nothing that I had to protect in the world. I didn't have any particular physical desires. I was as happy sleeping on a couch as I was in a $10,000 bed. I was as happy eating, he called it burger doodle. I was as happy eating burger doodle as I was five-star restaurants. Why didn't I stand up and say, no, this isn't safe? And, and make it to where mm -hmm. they couldn't ignore me. But, I mean, I think part of the idea of the screw tape letters is that even if we're not individually possessed, we are all certainly tempted to do things we shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And, and he was engaged was, I'll, I'll send you this essay if you want. You ought to read it. I mean, I think it's okay. a really, really good thing for you to read. I just always thought that was a very powerful statement. As he moved toward signing that safety document, as he moved toward ignoring these other things, screw tape was happy. This so, this so reminds me of the series Suits that's on Netflix where the guy becomes a lawyer. He's the guy who's never been to law school, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I said, "Is this for real?" Because it's just like suits to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't they eventually find out with the suits guy that he he's never been to law school? Yeah, yeah. he goes to jail yeah. for it. Oh, he oh does. spoiler alert! That's oh, spoiler okay. alert! He, that he, don't bother me. He goes to jail. How long does? He, I mean. How does that well, finally work out? Then he makes a deal and he gets back out. I haven't watched the final season, so I'm not sure how it. But, but we were watching some of it earlier this summer, and uh, I enjoy that show. That's a, that's a fun too. show. It's, it's, it's a good well, in one. certain states, he could have taken the bar even without going to law school. Well, and that's what he <laughs> yeah. So he that's what he, he was did. trying to do, yeah. and and he hasn't done it yet in the episodes oh, that okay. I've seen. Okay. But 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 anyway, I mean the um, the screw tape letters is a fun thing to read, and. I certainly know that when I read it, I found myself thinking, hmm, I remember that little mental tickle, that little mental push of, oh, this is okay, Victor. You don't have to worry about this. Now, I, I, I guess God has actually blessed me with an extremely good sense of guilt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I'm there with you on that one. <laughs> I may not have been born into a Catholic family, but I definitely have the Catholic guilt and always have. There you go. <laughs> well, I always, I always say that I was a uh, uh, traditional Lutheran who became a Catholic and then tried real hard to become a Jew and then became a Catholic again. And so I just got every possible guilt that... <laughs> Well rounded yeah, you were guilt. piling it on. <laughs> well rounded guilt. The other thing I'm going to say about the letters is it's amazing how it's not just how generations keep rediscovering it, but it's the fact that media continuously 
retells the story over and over again. Uh, mm -hmm. We've seen episodes of Millennial that was directly influenced by the Screwtape Letters. It was, in fact, a modern retelling of it. Uh, you even find the same thing in some Japanese anime. There was a, an anime that came out in the summer of 2022 called Chimimo. And it was kind of a cutesy anime with a little bit of a dark understory, but it was um, a demon from hell comes to Earth, and he has these little indescript white servants that follow him around that make little cheeping noises, and a family kind of adopts them, and therefore the demon. And the demon is always trying to find ways to condemn, bring the world to ruination. And he has a senpai, which is his senior, who is always calling and trying to check up on him. But the guy is so lazy that he, he screws up all the time. It's just funny to see Lewis, you know, reincarnated into a, uh, a Japanese societal structure and retranslated. Awesome. So. That's awesome. I wish my daughter was here. She is a... She is a C.S. Lewis lover, man. She, she would be she would be nerding out big time right now. I'm telling I, you, I one, have a one of the defining factors of my time at Harvard was being able to attend the C.S. Lewis lectures every year. Um. Yeah, it was a series of lectures that were given in his name that were for scientists who had faith and how they maintained their faith in spite of their scientific rigor. And the first year I ever attended it, in fact, it was hosted by C. Everett Koop, the former... Um, former Surgeon General. Yeah. Yeah. And it just went on from there. In fact, one of the speakers I still remember was um, the gentleman who first mapped the human genome. Oh, wow. Okay. And he was speaking about his faith and how it's important to him. And, you know, and that's, it kind of rings true for me because when I was a little kid, I doubted whether I worried that I doubted, like I have questions on whether God truly exists. Does mm -hmm. that mean I'm going to go to hell? And I had, I was staying over at my mom's friend's place because she had a, a boy who was my age and we became really good friends. Uh, nevertheless, several comely daughters. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I was sharing this with her one night. I don't know why. I'm not really a big, like, truly open individual. And she said, well, you know, I know a lot of scientists who really believe in God. And for yes. some reason, that comforted me for years. What if there are people a lot smarter than I am who have no quandaries with faith? Mm -hmm. And that quieted it. 
And of course, I mean, that was a, a crutch, but it's a crutch that I was very glad to have in my formative years when I couldn't really come up with proper argumentation for myself. Well, well I, don't I don't think, think I, I don't think it's a crutch at all. Faith is a crutch, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, mean, faith. I, I think it was a way for an adult to quiet the doubts of a child. Okay, oh, okay. fair enough. That's, yeah, that's the crutch I was speaking about. Okay, yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, I didn't. All right, I'll, I'll take it this direction. I'll, this is a good topic. Um, first off, has anybody listened to the to the last rundown that we did? Yes. No, no. I mean, I guess the one that we haven't published yet. So I didn't know if I. Oh those no! F- I have, man, we went. We got deep, dudes. I mean, yes, we did. I mean, we we went way the heck down into heavy, heavy philosophy. Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes we ever got into. Honestly, yeah, they're they're going they're going to pee pee people who are going to write to us and say, "Ooh, I really enjoyed that getting down into deep philosophy." And then we're going to get some letters from, "Come on, guys, come up from the, <laughs> you know, you know, get, get, you know, get up out of the sewer, don't." <laughs> In the philosophical basement, huh? <laughs> you know? Well, that's that. That's uh. That's a why we're the dorks, right? We're the dorks. Yeah. Well, anyway, I I am certain when I was probably sixteen, seventeen, or something, there was something in me, nerdy, you know, very very smart kid, who just said, well. If you're going to be cool, you've got to be an atheist. If you're going to be cool, you've got to be an atheist. And I want to be cool. And I hadn't yet figured out that I didn't really care that much about being cool. So there was probably a two-year period where anybody who asked me, you know, I would tell them that I was an atheist. Now, I never, ever remember going to bed at night feeling, you know, strong in my atheism. Uh, I never remember being any kind of anti-theist or anything. I think most intelligent people, at some point in their lives, tell themselves that they are atheists. I can agree with that. Well, we all doubt. How about that? Yeah, of course we all doubt, yeah. But, but, But to me, I felt like this is a way for people to take me more seriously. Well, and that's a very natural thing. I mean, we see a ton of celebrities, influencers who are purported to be very smart and Mm -hmm. they stand extremely strongly in their atheism. And when I've seen that in the past, it kind of made me wonder, hmm, am I the idiot because I believe in this? It was only a passing moment. And, you know, there was, I forget what fantasy novel it was, but it was a novel where you had this ruling priesthood and they left theology to the young priest, the priest that knew no better. And, but it was the more experienced priest that knew that debating theology all day, every day, wasn't going to get you anywhere. And you had to have practical matters in mind to be able to give spiritual guidance to your parishioners and to actually keep the organization running, etc. 
And I kind of find myself in that same boat now. You know, yes, do I still do I still have doubts? Sure, but they they don't even like touch anything outside of the outer surface of of who I am. Uh, they just bounce off. I am completely fine and comfortable in my faith. It's a old robe at this point that keeps me warm, and I don't need to question it anymore. It just is. One of the taglines or uh, credentials that I put on Quora, and man, Quora has just become a absolute cesspool. I mean, there there was a time when Quora was actually a place you could go to try and find, try and gain some knowledge, try to learn something. Really. Uh, Oh yes, I've never known it outside of being a quagmire. You never of, knew it outside of being a cesspool. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, well, uh, I'm going to say probably six, seven years ago, there you could you could go there to to find some knowledge. Now there was a there were cesspool sections, but there were also knowledge sections in there. And one of the credentials that I have on there is, <clears throat> uh, I've never seen the slightest contradiction between faith and science. You know, you can put any any credential on there you want. Mm-hmm. And so that's one that I use. And it's probably about every two weeks that that really ticks somebody off. And, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I will suddenly just get this barrage of hate letters, you know, this barrage of hate messages like, what do you mean you don't find any contradiction between there? There's absolute contradiction. And... Um, for a while there, I would try to engage with them. I just don't even try to engage anymore because these people are not thinking about anything other than trying to be, trying to be angry. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So much of the internet, whether it is algorithms that track engagement, and unfortunately, the biggest factor of engagement is outrage and yes. rage mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. hatred and anger. And that in that paired with a sense of anonymity that you gain from being online, just like you get when you drive and you have a honking piece of metal isolating you from the outside world, you feel like you can just rage in your car and have no repercussions. And both of those things together do not lead to a wonderful place. No. And that is why I am still so glad that this is not an invitation to wreck it because I will ban people, but it is such a nice place that our Discord server is still cordial, friendly. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, well, first off, the people who come to your Discord server are generally seeking, actually seeking knowledge. Okay. Yes. I, I I would think that, now people seek knowledge in all kinds of different ways, but to me that just goes a long way toward makes making something worth dealing with. That's true. Um, I think JJ's whole conversation that he just said gives another reason why exorcisms are so hard today. Think think about what he just said. We live in the most offended time ever. Everybody's pissed off with everybody. Nobody gives a damn about anybody else. But yet we wonder why the demonic influences are on the rise. I know I went back a conversation, but 
<laughs> when, when, he, well, when he was talking, it, my bells went off. Ding, 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 ding. So <laughs> it, is, it is something that the, the Internet has brought out the absolute worst in people. Worst. And, it was, and it's all, it was not intended to be that way. It's like a side effect of this abstraction from in-person life that you get from an right. online persona. You know, even if they know who you are, even if they know who you are, you go out on Facebook, there are people that will say something, you know who they are, they're using their real life name, and they will say stuff on there that they would never have said to you in in person. Oh, absolutely. But that, that buffer, right, that facade of it's online, therefore, you know, it's not real life. I can say whatever I want. It's And people don't think about it that way, but that's what happens. It's crazy. Have y'all seen the movies uh, Dave? Dave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, D-A-B-B-E. No, I haven't seen it. What, no. what is it about? So it is Jin. a series that is based upon Turkish traditions and beliefs and Islam. And it's uh, it's really about jinn. Uh, they at least the first one's fantastic. Second one's pretty dang good too. But there is this idea that the internet is a spider's web that does nothing but trap and that that, that trap human souls, and is meant to ensnare humanity. Into the fl- into the snares of the demonic. That's and, a pretty dang good thesis. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's it's actually pretty dang. And this is a guy who lives and lives, breathes, and works in tech, and has been for twenty five years now. So, I will never forget when the internet first started. Everybody was like, "Oh, this is the mark of the beast." I, I, I don't remember feeling that way. I, I look. I remember. I want to come back to Gage in a I minute. Funny. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I want to come back to Gage, but I want to talk about this. Look, before there was the internet, there were bulletin board systems. Oh, and yeah. Anybody Brenta. else remember bulletin board systems? Yep. Oh, yes. Dude, I, I lived in Brenta, BBS. I got myself in so much trouble on Brenta. <laughs> what, 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 what did you Please do to get elaborate, in, JJ? What did you do to get in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I would prefer to keep some dark secrets. You, you want to uh, keep some dark secrets? <laughs> he was like Luther. He left his thesis on the bulletin board. No, <laughs> what happens in Brenta stays in Brenta. Huh? No, in Brenta this is- was more about. Uh, meeting meeting girls and stuff like that. Well, see, the, the bulletin board world was a different kind of world. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't allow for an infinite population. You know, only so many people could be signed in on a bulletin board at one time. Yep. Uh, and it, sometimes it was only like six or eight people. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I remember that. Oh gosh, and not just BBSs, but I was a huge mud player. What was mud? Oh, multi-user dungeons. Multi-user dungeon games. Yeah. Yeah, I even developed a few muds and with a friend and put them out online. We used to play Hexonics all the time. Uh, our college 
was one of the first colleges that had a true high-speed internet because of the fact that our one of our physics professors was an astrophysicist from NASA, and they wanted to keep in touch with him, so they paid to have our entire network uh, established and built for us. Oh, so you probably that school probably had multiple T3s or something at that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was amazing when you're on campus. And then, of course, I remember after the summer of my freshman year going off to Nashville to buy a... 256 KB modem. KB modem. Which just tickled my heart to death. Yes, and, and, and that, I remember when you, when you took it home, the first thing that really, really made your heart go, ooh, was that noise. Cedric Dankworth Smythe here. At one time, not all that long ago, every online experience started with this particular sound. It's so soothing and pleasant. You know, oh, yeah, like a duck with a kazoo. <laughs> it was good times, man. But no, we, uh, like, so I went to an all-male college, and we had seven all-female schools right around us. And every one of those schools that had good internet just like us, my gosh, it was nothing more than a dating scene. We would use Gopher and BBSs and everything else and set up dates. And, oh, it was good times, man. <laughs> man, could, could, uh, uh, could, could y'all imagine this? Uh, Halloween was a couple of days ago, so that, that's why it's on my mind. Could y'all imagine the Protestant Reformation? If Luther had Luther could, could put, put his 95 theses on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Actually, let me ask y'all this. How was y'all's Halloween turnout, if you don't mind me kind of switching gears lately? I've had uh, half a dozen kids. I never have anybody. I'm lucky. How about you, Dave? I had four. Two lived on the street. The other two came with the two, the brother of the two that lived on the street. But I, I live in a, a, a retirement area, so there's gotcha. very few kids where I so live. JJ had most of Northern Virginia coming to see him. Yeah. It was amazing. So this is the first time I've actually handed out candy since being in this house. And this is the third year that we've been here. And so we put out a, my little skeleton dude that I've had in the corner. That's why he's not here with I'm me at the moment. And I had a little skull, another skull, and we put it all up. And we're the first house that enters into our subdivision. And this is the oldest subdivision in the town that I'm in. But... I, I bought two gigantic bags of candy. It was like two, each one had 230 pieces of candy inside of it. And I thought, eh, you know, I might get through most of one, maybe. But, you know, it won't be too bad. But I bought two just in case. One hour after I started handing out candy, and that was at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, I had gotten through both bags of candy 
in one hour. Wow. And I was at the beginning was handing out two pieces per kid. And at the end of it, I was giving out one piece per kid. We had at minimum 250 kids show up, if not 300. That's My amazing. God. That's it. I mean, I would sit, I had a little chair by the front desk and by the front door, and I was just had my phone. I was just scrolling through TikTok and other stuff. Get up, ring doorbell, go up, answer it. I would nine times out of 10, I could not sit back down before it would ring again or another knock would happen. I'd go right back. And then eventually I just stood up because I'm like, nope, you're going to keep coming. It was just streams after streams. It was unreal. But I had such a bloody good time. It was so fun seeing all the kids and their costumes. And it brought me more joy than I could say why. Did anybody Uh, have any great costumes? Yeah, there was one kid who had a fully custom-built boat that surrounded him. Wow. He had on like a captain's uniform, and you would actually lift up the front of the boat, and that's where all the candy was stored at. Oh, man. (laughs) It was awesome. And then he had a live were, whale. <laughs> and then there were two little girls. Well, they were like maybe like um, preteens, I would say. But they were dressed up in elaborate Day of the Dead dresses with oh, really? paint. Oh, wow. And it was it was gorgeous. I was like, holy crap! It was yeah. It was some. Good, there were some so, really good costumes out this year. So somebody went through the trouble of making something really good for these kids. Oh, they did. Yeah, and one of the little girls, she was special needs, um, it, but she was so happy to be out and getting candy. It, it, it just it just touched your heart. That's all you could say. Man, I will never forget when I was in the, I was in the second or third grade. One Halloween, I had a I had a Gene Simmons outfit. I, I thought I was the man. Well, do you have the uh, appropriate anatomical necessities for being in? No. <laughs> <laughs> Afraid not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Gene could like, you know, stick his tongue out. I will. I will never forget this as long as I live and. I'm going to apologize in advance, but Oprah had him as a uh, uh, guest a thousand years ago, and uh, this is when she first started. She said, well, Gene, just how long is your tongue? (laughs) He said, quote, uncle, it's long long enough to make you my best friend for the rest of your life. Wow. I said, oh, my God. Okay. Did he just say that? I'm like, no, (laughs) he did not. Okay. Oh. oh Josh, that was that was a good comment. <laughs> what did Josh say? I didn't hear what him. Did Josh say? I just got say, an Josh? image in my head of JJ Power, uh, posting an ad on the bulletin board saying, "Wanna have a good time? Call me." <laughs> <laughs> no, I was a heck of a lot more innocent than that. Holy goodness gracious! <laughs> Can I? I, I will tell one last. This is one of my fondest Halloween stories, and then I'll, I'll shut up about it. But you don't need to shut up. There was um, so when I was a kid, uh, my uncle who passed away two years ago, 
and actually did a whole episode in memoriam to him. But he oh, came man. out. He loved to come out to the house, and we lived in a two hundred year old log cabin, full of and, spiders and one really weird painting. Yep, exactly. Oh, but we, he would like we were walking around outside, pitch black at night, and he decided to try to scare the crap out of me, which he was wont to do. He loved to pay pranks. In fact, it's like me. If I don't make fun of it now, I don't like it. Well, he started telling me a story about the height of behind. Have you ever oh, heard yeah. this? The okay, gun smoke. Oh, that's where it originated. But you know, it supposedly was a creature that ran so fast that it would be behind you before you ever knew it. And rather than scare me, and it did scare me a little bit at the time, but my imagination went wild, and I drew the height of behind. In fact, it looks the face looks remarkably like the outline of my very first logo that I would have for my podcast, missing some bottom horns, etc. And as time went on, that became my brand. Like I made probably over 300 different types of hide behinds I made comics about them. The school actually had to force me to stop uh, making comics because I was selling them and it was giving the younger kids nightmares. Uh, but one year, my grandmother and my mom made me a custom hide behind costume. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I borrowed my my great uncle. He used to make these snake staves that he would carve out, uh, custom carve out of huge branches that had vines wrapped around them. And he would oh, make man. snakes wherever the vines happened to be. And he let me borrow one of those to take with me. And I was walking around in the school parade and everything else. I think I still have photos of all of that. But yeah, that was uh, that was a very good Halloween. <laughs> that sounds like a fantastic nice. Halloween. Do you still have any of those old uh, hide behind drawings? I so our old house was finally demolished last year, mm-hmm. and it was so dangerous and such a, a spider nest that I'm for anything that was in there is probably long gone. So I don't, but I still have the images in my head. I wonder um, if we can get generative AI to make a hide behind. I bet we could. <laughs> I, you know, I've actually have seen there's been a, uh, several YouTube horror shorts about hide behinds, and they're awful. They are just oh yeah, I bet they don't atrocious. Yeah, they're not anything like the the real hide behinds. I mean, look, you're the I, th- I just think you should declare yourself as the world's leading expert on hide behinds, and you you know owe it to your audience. There you go. To go to generative AI and get to them to make a really good one. Um, I mean, it's a moral imperative, JJ. Well, uh, actually, so I have just gotten into clay sculpting. <laughs> oh wow! And I am going to be. That's going to be my very first thing is I, making a hide behind. Are you talking and about excellent. real sure enough hands clay? Or are you talking about computer clay? Oh no, real physical, real clay sure enough that you physical have to clay. Bake. I can't wait. 
it's gonna it's gonna be fun i i've gotten into watching some of these amazing sculptors and i'm like you know what and i bought the tools i bought the polymer clay excellent the whole nine yards i can't wait i can't wait i'm looking forward to that jj i uh, i uh, do have one question for you that i've always wanted to ask and uh since the subject got brought up if, if, if you guys will indulge me for just a moment take time but 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 the old two hundred year the two hundred year old log cabin. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that you said you grew up in that and it was haunted as hell. Oh I'd yeah, like to, I'd like to hear about that. So yeah, that I talked about. I think we talked about it a little bit on the last rundown. Or may, no, maybe I'm confusing the wandering road. Um, interview that i did but anyway it was haunted by a spirit that my family called patrick which is a very unassuming name but that thing scared the ever-living bejesus out of us in that house like um my uncle great uncle tutu uh he he was only a few years older than the youngest uncle that i had and so he would stay there and and my grandmother kind of took care of him and he would sleep up in the attic but there were many times in which kids would go up there to see if he was there because they would hear sounds and they would see a body print on the bed but there was nobody there he wasn't there hadn't been there for hours the door would often just swing open up by itself without any wind, any, you know, anything that would ever cause it to move. <clears throat> I had horrible dreams in that house, depicting the predicting the day that I'm going to die and everything. Else. Now, whether, of course, that is true or not, I won't know until that day comes. No, no, and I hope it's not true. But, uh, yeah, that, that place... Um, you got some eerie vibes, and I've had many a friend over from college and from other places, and they refuse to even step in the house. They're like, nope, not going in there. Well, when we do my dreams episode, we're going to have to bring that up. I'd like to that, – that'll be a good, good story. Yeah, I'll tell you that one in my Trilogy of Evil. Trilo- what? Trilogy of Evil? Oh, yeah, I had three evil dreams in college that were rather prophetic in nature. So, <laughs> Wow, okay. Uh, I'm going to write that down. I remember that. All right, if you don't mind, I'm going to indulge myself a little bit here because we've, we started talking about possession, and I want to go back to Gage okay. uh, because one of Gage's absolute favorite topics in the world was possession. But he mm. thought about it in a different way. And so this is what he wrote. He showed me this whole series of letters. Gage was, I don't know if I told you about the guy, but he he bought ad space at the back of magazines like uh, Penthouse and these other magazines. And he said he had the Total Happiness Program. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And if you would... If you would send him fifty bucks or something like that, then he would uh, he would send you the secret to total happiness. And he figured out that that was a, an extremely evil thing to do. Ended up losing a lot of money on that. But he got this letter from somebody on his forty second birthday, 
and no idea who the letter came from. And the letter went like this. Anybody mind if I read this? Take me take a minute or two. No, go for it. Dear Alan, happy 42nd birthday. I'm sending you this strange letter because you seem honest enough to accept a big truth about yourself in your middle age, even if it makes you unhappy and requires you to start all over remaking your ideas about the world. I'm going to trouble you with such a truth. There is no doubt in your mind that smoking is permanently poisoning your body. You surely know that as you grow older, your previous smoking will cause incurable health problems, suffering, disablement, and premature death. In the past, you probably quit smoking just to prove that you have the willpower to do so. But then you started smoking again. Alan, you consider yourself intelligent, logical, and moral. You try to do good and avoid bad. You know it's bad for you to smoke, yet you smoke anyway. Honor requires a good mind like yours to deal with the following question. If your logical mind thinks you shouldn't smoke, what can explain the fact that you are still smoking? And JJ, this is this is not directed at you. This is just what he was writing about, okay? Uh, you think you like to smoke. That's true. You do. Smoking causes pleasant sensations, which you do enjoy. But I can assure you, and will provide you with a direction of inquiry that will demonstrate, that's not the main reason why you smoke. Your naive investigations into psychology and psychiatry have informed you of multiple personality disorder, MPD, cases. You have studied literature citing that such cases are rare, but that is true only in a certain limited sense. The key word in the subject diagnosis is disorder. If multiple personalities living in the same brain neither cause some major functional problem in a patient's normal social life, nor identify themselves as separate persons whom others notice, they in principle go undetected. Hence, the actual case is that when language-using spirits who share joint tenancy in one brain decline to identify themselves as discrete persons, each with his private purposes and methods of achieving them, then public persons don't know of their existence. The exceedingly rare diagnosed cases of NPD merely hint at the tiniest tip of a monstrous, monstrous submerged spiritual iceberg. All human brains can and do support more than one language-using person. In the case of most normal persons, one single spirit achieves and maintains general dominion over its spiritual brainmates. That is the only person who is normally noticed socially by others. But the subordinate spirits are still real and still present. They know direct contention with the powerful spirit who holds principal dominion in the brain they share offers no prospect of realizing their private purposes. Discreet insinuation promises their most feasible strategy for realizing their individual purposes. I'm sure by now you are beginning to get the picture. At this very moment, you are sharing your brain with a loathsome spiritual tenant, a puffer belly demon who is gradually killing your body and defiling your soul. Keep in mind that your puffer belly is also reading this letter and he will react to it, perhaps vehemently. The demon will work insidiously per to persuade you of the following. One, demons don't really exist. Two, it is really you who wants to smoke. Three, smoking isn't actually very harmful. And four, to have a pleasant smoke right now and think about how implausible this crackpot theory of demonic influence really is. Now that I have granted you this little glimmer of light, you have the knowledge of good and evil. Surely ignorance can no longer serve as your excuse. 
you understand the moral choice that you now must make. Knowing your strength of character, I'm sure you will do the right thing. Best wishes for a better life. Signed, a secret friend. Were you the secret friend? No, I was not. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> because I have some really unkind things to say about that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Uh, well, but no, I was one. not. The, I was not the secret friend at that point in my life. Uh, well, gosh, I would have only been. Um, I don't know, maybe thirty uh, when. Not even quite 30 when he got that letter. And I wasn't capable of putting those thoughts together at age 30. Well, first and foremost, that letter was full of nothing but manipulation. What's that now? I mean, it was full of manipulation. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I just have always found his idea of multiple language-using entities inhabiting the same brain yeah, as a, I mean, as a pretty fascinating idea it was it was, it was pretty cool but i mean my god <laughs> <laughs> so, no no I, I don't mind anybody th throwing shade at the letter or just saying unkind things about it or oh, the person no, who wrote no, no. it, no, it's, I mean, it's just it's just 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 the very last part of it yeah i'm like i'm like oh my god that's manipulative i thought he was talking to you no 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 i i've, I've never okay. been a smoker I've never been a smoker. He was just gauged just for some reason trusted me. Yeah. He just felt was like I was the kind of person he could tell things to. He yeah. could talk to. Uh he could share things with. And he did. So anybody have any thoughts about your brain holding multiple symbolic language using entities at the same time? I so I would say that first I would completely agree with Father Birdsong. <clears throat> yes, that letter is manipulative in the sense that it played to the reader's hubris in order to funnel the author's even greater hubris. <laughs> this person <laughs> thought that their idea was just so magnanimous and amazing and no one's ever thought of it before that you know they can drop a quote-unquote truth bomb and suddenly open their eyes entirely and yeah that i remember trying to write the most perfect letter in the world back when i was in eighth grade to convince a high school girl to go out with me and i just knew that if i had if you could just find those perfect words ultimate combination of words mm -hmm. then everything would work out well and it did work out it was not the perfect letter by any stretch of the word uh, nor was she the perfect girl because she then turned around and threatened me with a from a, with a high school boy who threatened to to kill me so that wasn't the most adept of situations nor was i the smartest kid on the block but yeah anyway yeah, but, that, that's but, all I but, but i mean there were some guts involved in writing the letter and sending it uh, Absolutely. guts or stupidity uh, not knowing better it, it would probably a mixture of all three honestly <laughs> well I, i've i've written some i've written letters and sent them to to girls and they've had mixed success
Yeah, that's the story of my life right there. (laughs) But but here's the thing. I mean, the letters that had great success also carried with them great pain. Uh, The the letters that had minimal success or no success at all, that pain was short-lived. That that was just a oh no okay well that was a total bust, let me go into something else. Yep. But when the letter works, and then you find yourself in the situation where you don't have any idea what to do, then the possibility of there being extreme pain uh, becomes much higher. Yep. Well, sometimes I just can't help but think. Uh, let me play the devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Sending your letter is sometimes like hitting the send button on an email. <laughs> There's no way to bring it back. You can't take it back. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I, I will acknowledge the guy's concerned if it was true, genuine concern. I will acknowledge that. But where, as you were reading it, I'm like. This guy could actually wind up doing more harm than he's trying to do good by sending this type of letter instead of just talking to a person in person where it's face to face. Because you know, you know, letters and emails are kind of like we use text now. If you if you send me a text, it could say, "Have a good day." Mm-hmm. Well, depending on our last conversation or something or whatever, or depending what kind of mood I'm in that day, I could say, he trying to be a smart ass? Yes, you could. You know you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, and the only reason why I'm saying that and the only reason why I'm bringing this up is for the nature of our podcast. When you send something out, some things are appropriate. Some things are not appropriate. And to bash someone like that just because they smoke. I'm a former smoker myself. I haven't smoked in over 30 years, okay? But but I'm just saying, man, <laughs> if, if you have never smoked, you don't have a do- I mean, I was one of those type that if I woke up in the middle of the night, Mm-hmm. And didn't have one. Mm-hmm. I'd put my pants and shoes on and go to the store and get one. Yeah. Okay. So it, was, it had that that powerful uh, a, a hold on you. Oh man, the addiction to nicotine is, is terrible. Oh yeah. The, I, I mean, I, I was. I quit I smoking am... over. I, I I quit smoking over thirty years ago, and 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 and, and I'll just go ahead and be honest. Now I'm addicted to the lozenges. <laughs> a lot of people make that trade-off yeah yeah, yeah. i mean my lungs are good and clear and very 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 healthy now however now that nicotine will still kill you it'll kill you uh, well i am very cla- very proud to claim that i have not smoked for at least 20 minutes there you go <laughs> i knew that was gonna be short <laughs> okay uh, 
<laughs> well, you could be at the beginning of a very, very good, uh, you know, let it, no, let see, you're breaking no, it half. That's, uh, that's let a, us celebrate all all accomplishments. Uh, that, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of like me. I, I've lost I've lost hundreds of pounds. Yeah. I just gained them all back. <laughs> gained them all back. <laughs> so this idea of what did you call it, Vic? Multiple multiple language. symbolic language using entities. And I, and I believe, sounds like multiple personalities to me. So I mean, would that be M slows? Using it to M slows. So, so here's the thing. I at first I thought this letter was going down a path of okay, basically everybody's got split personality disorder, and you have multiple versions of yourself living in your brain but then it turned it into well this is actually a demon yeah and this demon is telling you to smoke so so your puffer belly demon i guess the question is (laughs) is there is there room for multiple people or is it just a person with potentially multiple demons living in there with you well, this the the writer. Those are of the, two different things. The writer of the letter, and Gage, and to a certain degree, me came to believe that indeed, your standard healthy human has multiple symbolic language using entities living within their brain. I I don't buy it. I, I really don't, don't buy it because of the fact of. The underlying premise of the letter is assuming that people are at heart logical. And so, therefore, the only answer of why someone logical and intelligent would do something so unhealthy and illogical would be another personality in their brain that is actively sabotaging who they are as an individual. It doesn't matter. I mean, I think one of the harsh truths that we have to learn is we are not logical beings. Just because we can reason does not make our actions based upon any kind of preconceived thought or ideology in fact it's usually the quite the opposite it is you know if you want to take the strict heideggerian concepts it is a bunch of historicity that is thrown out before us as a cone of experience in which we interpret the world through and how things react to that we can react to and shape logically or intellectually or emotionally or spiritually or whatever Exactly, but it does not mean that how we gut instinct feel is going to override that. And it certainly doesn't mean that what our body perceives of as needs are going to take a backseat to the brain, because usually it's the opposite way around. I want to back that statement up this way. All of us are believers here. So let me let me let me pose let me pose JJ's statement this way. Adam and Eve were they not made perfect? Uh according to the, the Bible, answer is yes. yes. Yes, they were. The answer is yes. And uh so however, however with that being said, with the right 
manipulation, did they not fail? Well, yes, they did. So that tells me that even the greatest of God's creations, if they have free will, they can make a mistake and screw up. Just like Lucifer himself, right? Okay. Lucifer was Lucifer was the 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 most beloved created angel. He was he was the bright in the morning star, was he not? Yes. The the most even, beautiful creation of God. Even he failed. And so and so and so the the only reason why I bring that up is because sometimes I believe things can be taken overboard and we can do more harm to someone than good by our own and I'll use the word righteous indignations. We may think we're doing well, but sometimes we're really not when it comes down to the root of the problem. Right. We can do more harm than good. Well, if I had and, talked, if I were going to talk to Gage about his smoking, it would have been very much something along the lines of, uh, hey, I'll look, uh, I love you as a friend. I really wish you wouldn't die anytime soon. Okay, that, but see, but see, that, that would have been it. That's, that's, See, that's the correct way. That's the correct way. Now, don't, don't, please, please, my God, don't take me the wrong way. And, 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 and I, the letter was, it was, it was written very well. Did I agree with it? No, but it was written, it was written doggone good. How about some context here? Vic, did he quit smoking? Yes, he did. He, did he, he quit he, smoking he after that letter? He quit smoking the day he received the letter. Okay, well, so this got, is somebody point. who yeah. knew him okay. well enough okay. to know that that logical argument would resonate with him. Mm -hmm. Now right? that makes sense. I, I, I don't. That, that makes I, I don't. Sense. I don't slam the person right in the letter. I can see the you know like JJ's talking the hubris or whatever, but yeah, you know, I was I was guessing you were going to say that he quit, Vic, because I could see. The idea that someone knew the right argument to give him. He knew the right buttons to push. Right. And I wish you would have lead it off with that fact before I made an ass out of myself. <laughs> you didn't make an ass out of yourself. So, you didn't make an ass out of yourself. It's, it's, it was just, look, the, the, I had never. I mean, he, he called me, you know, and he said, hey, Victor, you got to come over here. I got something I got to show you. And th I mean, remember, I'd already been through the total happiness thing where, you know, <laughs> you know, we spent several days writing back letters of apology to the total happiness people and sending them back their money and and all this. Uh, so I thought, oh, man, he hadn't done another total happiness thing, has he? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that story. I remember you telling that story. <laughs> and and uh, but he shows me this letter and he's got this look. He's got this look in his face of. Who would send me this letter? And and it was just utter sincerity. And it says, Victor, I don't have any idea who would send me this letter. You know, you know, you're the only person I know who might try to do this, and you're not that smart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's talking about brutally honest. Okay. <laughs> and he was right. I wasn't. Uh, so anyway. Well, I, so I'm, I'm really stuck on something here, and, and we, we really haven't flushed it out. 
Victor, you said that you believe. Yes, I do. That the human brain can house multiple, multiple M-slews. Multiple M-slews. <laughs> and so. What did you just call me? <laughs> Darn it, he's figuring out our code for him. <laughs> dirty, not, not, look, it's not just an M-slew, it's a dirty, stinking M-slew. Uh, <laughs> Come on, guys. Well, so. So how do you define one of these things? So so what are you defining an M-slew as? Well, first off, somebody's got to tell me what the heck an M-slew is. Well, it's I'm a, a Georgia boy. He, what he's talking about <laughs> is, look, there's a victor. There's a controlling personality of victor. Okay. There's a controlling mental construct that's pretty darn good at using language, pretty darn good at manipulating ideas. <laughs> Pretty darn good at lying both to himself and to other people. Pretty darn good at realizing that there are certain moral standards that he should live up to and only reasonably good at actually living up to them. As far as I know, that pretty much describes everybody. Exactly. That's yeah. me. That pretty much describes yeah. everybody. But I don't rule out the possibility that in the idle cycles of my brain... Okay, like folding at home or oh, SETI, SETI, SETI. at home. Yeah, yeah. SETI at home. Right. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. So when your when your computer's not busy doing something else, they'd take those cycles and they'd run the screensaver that's looking for uh, signals, looking for signals, yep. things like that. Right. Well, and folding was folding proteins, folding proteins at right. home. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I'm aware that there. Look, there's a lot of time when my brain isn't really doing very much at all. I'll I'll, I'll get on the I'll get on the machine at the gym and I'm listening to. Uh, blurry creatures or i'm listening to you know george or listening you know listen to something listen to jj and man my brain's not working very hard at all so there's all kinds of time so your brain don't you know, so what you're saying is your brain don't have to work to listen to jj it doesn't have to work to listen to a lot of things <laughs> you have to work to listen to a lot of things but but anyway there there's there's uh there's not much going on in there and so i don't discount the possibility that other independent entities could arise. All right, and so that independent entity, so let's keep in mind that the letter started talking about those, but then it called one of them out specifically as a demon. We're puffer talking belly, like puffer, a... Puffer belly demon. Yeah, a puffer belly demon. Puffer belly demon. Um, I mean, I, but, I, would, I would have the... Uh, <clears throat> procrastination demon i would have the boy i really shouldn't eat that other piece of cake but i'm going to eat it anyway demon i would have the gosh i really really need to be patient and listen to what caroline has to say right now but i'm tired and i don't really want to demon so your well, read what, of what the letter really is to... when he is talking about a demon he is talking about a a personality that is like a a psychological demon, like an inner demon, not he, a infernal. No. He's a talking about yeah. Entity. He, he's a talking about what the holy scriptures would refer to as the nature of the flesh versus the nature of the spirit. Right, 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 right. Or or the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. Right. I, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, okay. I got you there. So so then you're thinking of this as because you're talking about something that's language using entity so you're talking about a potentially a separate personality 
residing in your brain. Are you thinking of that as something that can operate independently on its own? Yes. Okay. Now, and yet it's just not strong enough to override the it's not strong enough controlling to personality the, the, the most control, of the time. The controlling personality. I mean, if you suddenly become aware of – look, if you certainly become, suddenly become aware of something else in your brain, something else in your mind pushing you in particular directions strongly that you don't seem to be personally in control of, that's going to raise your hackles very quickly. That's going to be an alarm. I don't want that to be there. I don't want that to happen. You're going to start seeking treatment. It's going to call what? itself out. Look, but if it's just sim- if it's just simply a desire to eat that candy, smoke that cigarette, drink that wine, but but do you think that that takes it as far? All right, now take into consideration what I just said. Scripture wise, we face a battle every day: mm-hmm. the sins of the flesh versus or the works of the flesh. Versus the works of the spirit. We right. have that war going on all the inside time. of us all the time. But to come to the point where we say that we have different personalities, everyone does, I I would have a hard time buying that because that's not a part of our creation. Correct. Well, and there's, and there's no... I mean, there's no real empirical evidence that this is the case, other than right, other than non-logical human behavior. Yeah, that's the that's yeah, the I, evidence. Well, I, I would I think have, of it I have as, a hard time seeing a lot of people as logical. Yeah, true. <laughs> we 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 all have our moments of being, and, and I'll be honest. I mean, part of the reason <laughs> that this series of thoughts has, has lived in my mind as long as it has. No, it'll is, make you think. Is I, simply you got be- my brain working. because of the incredible mind that Gage had. He was uh-huh. an absolute force of nature. I mean, you know, look, all of you guys are pretty darn smart, but you know, Gage was Isaac Newton level smart. I mean, it, I'm really talking an intellect, uh, you know, of that level. Mm-hmm. And when you run into an into, look, I know JJ's run into people like that. Various professors you've had, these people. Well, as far as I'm concerned, JJ's one of those intellects. I believe already. I, so. Well, but you've talked JJ about running into intellects that are almost transcendent in their ability to put together and manipulate ideas. Absolutely, yeah. it really, really has an impact on you when you run into that. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> it really you, does. You cannot underplay that level of influence. Right, right. So you're, you, so what you're saying, there's people that are so intellectual they can't put together an idea? Is, is that no, no, no. That Their oh, level okay. of being able to put together thoughts and ideas around the world is so far above your own comprehension or at least to be able to rationalize it in an easy way that it's easy to become awed by that. Yes. For example, okay. I, one of my major professors in college, Dr. Hall, the man had such an instinctual ability to understand 
ancient languages. He could play with them almost as easily as he could English. You could take a passage in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, and come up with 10 different ways to translate a simple passage. And grammatically, they are all correct. And it was it was awe-inspiring to behold. And if someone like that had an idea that it would be easy to be influenced by that. And I can definitely understand that aspect of it very well. And I am nowhere near that caliber. My God, if I had a fraction of the ability that Dr. Hall had, I I would consider myself done in life. I'm like, yep, I've reached the pinnacle. I'm good to go. You can go over there now. But, uh, but to me, uh, the idea is wrong-headed. Um, and this is after I just had a quick conference with my own puffer demon named Bill Felgore. Um, <laughs> Bill Felgore. <laughs> it, it is a very. I'm glad you gave him a name. What did Bill Felgore, Felgore say about it? Hmm? Oh, he, he laughed, and we we enjoyed ourselves together for a little while. You know, it, demons it, aren't really it real. Good. <laughs> Belfort, Bell Felgore is actually the name of the demon that I have been called before because it so quickly, like the description of it, the, resembles me a great deal. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Greetings again. This is Cedric Dankworth Smythe. They're keeping me rather busy this evening. You've probably seen an engraving that shows Belfagor. He is, after all, the demon of the toilet. In this famous engraving, he is sitting on a wooden toilet with the toilet cover on the ground next to him. What's most interesting is that he is holding his tail up out of the way, as if he doesn't have voluntary control of what the tail does. Perhaps it was paralyzed. He's usually listed as being the demon of sloth, wealth, riches, discord, indolence, selfishness, greed, disharmony, sex, orgies, debauchery, and, of course, toilets. Uh, I, I don't think that you have to go to that level of an extreme to be able to explain illogical behavior or behavior that is can be potentially destructive to a human being. Mm -hmm. And I would attribute it to a few different things. The first is this ray of experience, if you want to call it. Uh, A second is the older I get, the more I do notice this level of inconsistency within myself. Yeah. And I, like, I have kind of abandoned the idea that I, as a singular individual, still exists. The person from my childhood is no longer there. 
The person from Three. my college years is no longer there. And the person from my 30s is no longer there. I am a different being than I was. I share many similarities to those, but I am not the same. And I don't know if I would maybe go so far as the Buddhist idea of a fleeting moment-to-moment existence. You're a flowing river, and at any point you stop the river, it's different from the river has ever been before or ever will be again. I wouldn't go that far, but I also don't think that there is a, I think there is a core of experience that makes up who I am, but that experience is altered and shifted based upon the given set of experiences that are currently in play, the things that shape your day-to-day existence. They will color everything. And that combined with your natural reaction to things may be able to explain that. I'm not saying that it does, because I don't know that for 100% fact, but it makes more sense to me than an idea that there are multiple personalities that reside with only a sensual figure playing the director role. So when- I would agree. I, I, I view, um, although... I guess it depends on how you define you, what you are. I I view myself as the culmination of all of my experiences, all of what I've learned, all of what I've experienced over time, and its patterns. Over time, the more of a certain pattern that pops up in your life, the more weight that you give it. Mm-hmm. I look at flaws in my personality. I look at tendencies that I may have. And what I've figured out as I've gotten older is it's much easier for me to see where those patterns began in my life. I can look back and see what happened in my childhood that began that path, that began that weighted pattern of a certain thing, whether it was drinking or partying or reading or what, whatever it is, I have, you have an experience because of that experience, you build onto it with more things of that similar nature. And it, it builds weight in your personality. And then you have other experiences that may cause it to have less weight in your personality over time. But there are roots to who we are in our history that are, I think, as you get older, fairly easy to see. Oh, yeah. Now, I could see a concept where a certain set of patterns that you've built up over time based on experience is almost like a sub-process to me, right? the person who has this personality, right? When you go out to a bar, you put on a facade that's different than the the facade you put on when you go to church, right? You act differently, you respond differently, you speak differently. It's still you, right? But it's you have a different persona that you take on. Now, I could see where from a psychology perhaps the perspective you 
you could break and one of those personas could take more control of who you are right and maybe that's what multiple personality disorder i don't know how any of that stuff works but it's like the different personas gather control of their own they each start operating independently as opposed to it just being a shifting facade of who you are it becomes its own thing well i want to go to the very meat of what i just heard that you said and and let me let me say it this way it reminds me of saint paul telling us that with everything that goes wrong in our lives, with all the struggles, with 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 all the trials and tribulations, he says, he says that's why we take joy in our trials and tribulations, knowing that it produces patience and patience character. So everything that we go through, I would not say, I would not even dare say that it's a another personality, but it is. I mean, come on, David. It's just, it's just life. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, uh, let's say that uh, you like to go shoot pool. Okay. Yeah, and I'm gonna lose sometimes. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna lose sometimes. You know, Uh, I'll I'll take you out to a pool hall. We'll shoot some pool. You know, friendly little game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) No, so I I worked in in a pool hall for a while when I was younger, and um. You know, there's a certain way you act around the people that you're you're hanging right. out with when, when yeah. you're at the pool hall. Maybe a certain swagger, a certain speech, and so on. Mm-hmm. And we got to be the man. As you, the more time you spend doing that, the more that builds into your core personality. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it, That's it what does, I mean by it, right? It it does, but it does not mean that we're we got another separate identity. I don't think so. Have, I'm yeah, saying have, that I think there are have, ways that maybe you could break and it could become a personal, a separate identifying, right. but that's a mental health problem. I don't think that that is a Good different point. persona that is just under control, but could operate independently if you let it. Which right. I think is what Vic is saying is that you okay. could have an independent entity, right, Vic? Yeah. Um, look, also, I mean, if, not, if nothing not, else, it's an it's a it's a topic that got you guys thinking. Yeah. No, it's well, an interesting idea. Well, I want to make sure that Vic's not talking about we all have multiple personality disorder. Oh no, I, I don't think we all have multiple person multiple personality disorder. Not all of us, but the because, ones of us that do are cool. <laughs> there you go. We're the cool kids. Well, I, I, I may be debatable at times, but, you know. <laughs> JJ, you're mighty quiet over there, son. He's, he's off talking to one of his other personalities. Oh, um, that could be. You never know. A different demon. What 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 demon are you talking with now, JJ? Oh, it's still Belfelgi. Oh, okay. Hey, uh, speaking speaking of demons in the, in this in this whole conversation that we are having, I got to tell you guys a funny story. Mm-hmm. So uh, so this this person I know he, when he was in Bible college, he was at a 
Lee College in uh, Tennessee, by the way, JJ. And uh, this was back in the 80s where where we had a demon for everything, you know. And uh, he was... <laughs> he was... <laughs> I'm sorry. You guys are going to get a kick out of this. He was at a vending machine one day in a Coca-Cola machine took his 50 cents and didn't give him didn't give him his coca-cola mm-hmm. this guy this guy laid hands on this coke machine and tried to cast the demon of stealing out of a coke machine <laughs> evil coin stealing demon come out and there you go <laughs> did it work <laughs> no oh okay because if it did said, that would have been an even better story <laughs> i mean i mean i mean for real and some people wonder why we Christians have a bad rap sometimes. Bad rap. Because <laughs> you you're stupid as hell. That's why. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Okay. I'm okay. I'm going to cast that demon out of that Coke machine. <laughs> Be gone. Thieving Coke stealer. <laughs> and then the Coke drops. That would just be perfect. Now, that would have been awesome if it did. <laughs> Uh, I figured you guys get a kick out of that one, liven up the moment just a little bit. <laughs> Hello, this is Cedric Dankworth Smythe. One of the occasional problems of having a live episode like this is that occasionally the gang of nerds, I don't really like that term, the gentlemen spend too much time on one topic. And they definitely did that with, excuse me, imsloos. There are certain words that British gentlemen simply do not say. Can we can we do one more? I I think we've got some good topics here. Good, yeah. Okay, okay. Here we go. So JJ was started to say something, but then he was abducted by aliens. Didn't finish it. No, no, no. I, I've that got, my, got all my pieces out. Uh, your pieces out. Okay. All right. Here are the new topics. One. Zozo, the demon of the Ouija board. Oh, Uh-oh. I got so much to say on that. Go for it. Number it. two. <laughs> Malachi Martin. Was he a bishop, cardinal, liar, <laughs> or teller of the truth? Are you trying to like teller of the truth? Talk num- to my split personality. Num- there you go. <laughs> number three. Why was the risen Christ not recognized? Whoa. Number four, the vision of Leo Thirteenth in the Vatican. Number five, the chronovisor. Number oh, s- the chronovisor. Number six, flat eartherism. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, did that do a good job with this list or what, guys? I mean... <laughs> Hey, I just want to point out, okay, that Vic made this whole big thing about we're going to try Vic's inter- interspersed with Dave's way of doing it. I lied. And it's all been Vic's way the whole time. Man, these, these topics are... That's my prevarication demon. Um, so I will tell these, you, this all these is topics the are awesome. singular greatest single draw that we have ever had of amazing topics. Like, I wish to God this was the first one. Can we do this, all of them? That's what I'm saying. Do all yeah, of them we from would the just very do beginning. Every single one of them in a line. Okay, we we just we'll lay it out for the. I mean, the, so the next uh, 
Uh, Let's do one and then do the others. Okay, you, you, you guys fight it out. I don't care which one we do. I could talk about any of these, uh, but I defer. I got to do Zozo. Oh, good. Okay. Good. good. I was hoping we'd do Zozo. Board. Yes. <sighs> so <laughs> I actually did an entire episode. I went on. Cookville Ghost Hunters, and if y'all have not listened to Brandon's podcast, it is quite it is quite good. He is another Tennessee boy. He's actually, as the name implies, from Cookville, Tennessee. And uh, we've we've had a lot of fun talking over the past couple of years as I've gotten to know him. But anyway, um, we did an episode together all about Zozo, and you, I have seen. TikTokers to this day in the horror space who claim that, oh, if I mention the name Zozo to this day, then my house just gets all kinds of paranormal activity, blah, blah, blah. And I have never called such bullshit, and I don't mean to use that term lightly, in my entire life. Zozo is one is another example of creepy pasta. That it's that's how it started its life. It is a story of the demon of the Ouija board, and it is the one that whenever you talk to any spirit, that's who you're really speaking with is Zozo. If you give any credence to the story of Annabelle of the Warrens. You instantly cannot believe that Zozo is real, or at least is not the only thing that exists out there. But more than that, to think that there is only one entity and that this is the major overriding thing, that it is the archdemon of all portals that leads a humanity through a wooden board with a planchette is sheer idioticy and i will be happy to debate anyone on this particular topic the idea of zozo infuriates me beyond all belief i will say that ouija boards are extremely dangerous i will never mess with one i did as a kid thank goodness nothing bad happened I don't want to mess with that. I don't even do Kakuri-san, which is the Japanese version of a Ouija board that's played with a piece of paper, the hiragana alphabet, and a 5N coin, which has a hole in the middle of it, so it looks like a planchette. Um, I don't even mess with that. So, But we, the danger in Ouija boards is that if you go around opening doors and you don't know how to close them, I'm not saying that every time you use a Ouija board and something happens, that it's a demon. That's ridiculous. Same thing about Zozo. But the possibility of encountering the preternatural is never zero. And you put yourself in great harm by playing a game. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Well, okay. Let me... As much as I agree with you, I'm going to go there and try to be devil's advocate. How about that? A lot of people proclaim 
that Zozo is one of the same with Pazuzu. And that is absolutely incorrect. And they also proclaim that Zozo or Pazuzu was the one that uh, possessed the real life Rolling Doe from the movie The Little Boy that the movie The Exorcist was founded upon. No, actually, that's not true. So, this is this is where it gets a little interesting. Pazuzu Good. has gotten a horribly bad rap ever okay. since The Exorcist. And that's because they were looking for um, physical media that might represent the idea of an ancient evil. And someone discovered a statue of Pazuzu, and that's what they went with. Pazuzu is a demon, but demons in Mesopotamia are a vastly different breed of things. Pazuzu specifically is a protector demon, he was actually the one that guarded against his uh, Irving Finkel uh, thinks that it was his estranged or divorced wife, Lamashtu, who would go around breathing in the night air and hunting for infants in order to devour. And people would hang up a statue of Pazuzu over the door mantles or in windowsills and that would keep Lamashtu at bay. You can actually find very similar traditions in um, in Ethiopia now, where people, uh, women who are pregnant, will get Debtera to write these magical scrolls that they wear around their neck, and that protects them against Debtera. Uh, no, not Debtera, uh, from Shotalai, which are this race of baby-killing demons, which might as well be lifted from Mesopotamia for how closely yeah. they're inter- interrelated. But semantically, Zozo has two Zs. It doesn't mean it's related to Pazuzu. In fact, there's no way from the name Pazuzu you could ever derive Zozo. It just doesn't happen. It's like saying Jojo and JJ, oh, they must be absolutely related, and I am definitely not Jojo. So it's the exact same kind of linguistic principle to the matter. But yeah, people will make all kinds of claims, um, but it's not true. And the fact that Pazuzu is just getting further slandered, just yeah. Can I take I, this? Well can I can me. I take us on a tangent? Take yeah. us on a tangent, man. Go for it. All right. Here's my question. With all you just said, you often hear that from a Christian perspective, the gods of other religions are the demons of Christianity. In other words, uh, you you these are not these are not gods. These are not uh, these are demons acting as gods to other populations. Correct. Okay, so you understand what I'm saying there, right? Correct. Yeah. So now, let's say that Pazuzu is this thing in Mesopotamian religion or history. Um, But that 
is how it's acting for that population. That is not necessarily what it is from a Christian perspective. So how do you make that connection? Do you ever have a situation where you go, well, you know, you're you're doing an exorcism and Zeus shows up, <laughs> right? Or uh, Athena or, or whatever other god from any other religion or other figure from any other religion. Do you ever have situations where, I mean, the name shows up, but it has nothing to do with the original uh, myth or religious belief of that other population? Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah. In fact, yeah. it's very common. And, for example, yeah. let's take Zoroastrianism and Hinduism. They both religions sprung from the same proto-Iranian folks in the 19th century BCE. Zoroastrianism has the oldest religious text of any religion that we have proof of. And the gods, the god of Zoroastrianism, Ahura Mazda, is one of the principal demons in Hinduism, and vice versa. Uh, so it's a very common uh, PR tactic of a religion to adopt the inverse religion and make all of their deities demons and vice versa. Um, Pazuzu, however, is kind of a special case because although he was... He played the role of a protector. He was still a demon. Like, he was a, a demon of the wind. And wind is pernicious and capricious by nature. And so he could cause damage the same way he could cause, you know, he could help protect. Um, but the there was always that mixture of the two. You never quite knew what you were going to get with Pazuzu. Um, but... It could be either one, but he definitely hated Lamash too, and so you could depend upon his hatred to protect you, if not his goodwill. So it's not quite the same thing in in that front. Okay. So, so I I I think you're misunderstanding my question. I I hear what you're saying, right? One religion adopts it this, they flip it over. It's something else. Um. I'm asking from a more of a, a practical reality, someone is possessed, mm -hmm. right? And they are possessed by a demon. And I don't know how much of this stuff gets recorded. I don't know how much these stories get told. But someone is possessed by a demon that says that it is something from a different religion. Okay. Right. Not necessarily what the religions say. I'm not looking, uh, right. JJ, from like the cultural standpoint. I'm talking about from an, an exorcist shows up and says, who are you? Give me your name. And they go, I'm Pazuzu. Right. And it has nothing to do necessarily with the way Pazuzu was treated in the ancient Mesopotamia. This Pazuzu is like, I make him eat pizza until he throws up every night. Right or it has some other characteristic. Well, Does that make sense? There was a case of that actually. Yeah, and I think in North Carolina, there was a really strange group of thieves, criminals, and ultimately cannibals 
who claimed that they were possessed by Pazuzu, and that's what was the root of all their bad stuff. In fact, I first read about this. I think it was the only bit of factual knowledge that I gained from the most atrociously written book, The Evils of Archaeology. Evil Archaeology was its name. Um, do not ever read this book unless you want to yeah, read it. You really, really laugh. hated that book. Oh, it was awful. Yeah, I think it I was, remember hearing that yeah, before. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely atrocious. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's how that book started off, was talking about this cult. Um, I, in those cases, I would – you would have to do a heck of a lot to prove to me that – an ancient deity that was once revered has now become a demon. And I would say that Pazuzu was chosen because of the exorcist. And suddenly people had a heightened idea of who he was, and that's who they kind of latched on to. Do I think that it really happened? No, I do not. Um and, and as I said, it would take a lot to convince me that that was actually the case or not. I'm not saying it can happen. I don't know that for sure because goodness knows I don't have that power. But. Well, and that's why I was thinking more from an, an exorcist standpoint, right? You're there. You've got the authority of God, the authority of the church. You are there commanding this thing to give you its name. I mean, I, I assume there's a certain amount of, well, this is its actual name. So, uh, Father Mike, any any stories like that? All right, let me put it to you this way. Um, we are always going to have, when it comes to possession, and 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 I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to use the term uh, false religions. Okay. 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 There, there's a lot of false religions out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if I if I decide to dabble into one of them, uh. I am opening myself up first and foremost for that for the demonic in that context, so to speak, or or those gods. Uh, you know, if if I'm a if I'm a Viking and and I'm of the uh, what's it called, Josh Nordic Nordic religion, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm Zeus to, and Loki and all that, yeah, and, and Valhalla and all this kind of stuff. Well, it, it's all it's all false religion, okay, and so and so, I kind of put it into a very uh, simplistic Southern boy view. Anything that is 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 not of God is false. So there, there, number one, there's there's many false gods out there, whether we know them in our tradition or not, because there's other traditions that, you know, it's false. Does, does that part make sense? Sure. And so and so, I am opening myself up to any type of tradition or whatsoever. Whether whether it's whether this demon is a part of our tradition or not, it doesn't matter. It's still a demon. It's still it's not still, something that is it, it, working it, it is, in yeah. the interest of God. Exactly. It is it, it is a false god. It is a it is antichrist. 
And I tend to boil things down this way. Anything that is not of Christ is what? Antichrist. Right? And anything that is Antichrist will keep us in or try to keep us in some type of bondage or to take us captive or to distract us or to try to destroy us always. And so, and so I can understand why someone, uh, if you're in the middle of an exorcism and they've been, and they, and they count themselves as, uh, a person of paganism, that they're going to come up with some kind of pagan god that they're possessed by. You mean well, the person who is being possessed is going to come exactly, up with that. Exactly. Exactly right. So, so, so do you think when that, when someone's, when you're, when you're doing, performing an exorcism and you're given the name of a demon by the person who's possessed, do you think it's the, the person that's giving that to you, not the demon? Uh, I would say it was the demon. What I, yes, I would say it is the demon doing that. But the, the point that I'm trying to make is, is kind of like JJ was trying to make. There's more demons out there than, than what just the Zozo. Christianity, than Christians want to put a name yeah, on. Absolutely. Okay. Definitely. That's the Understood. point that I'm trying to make. And so, and so, and so that, that's why there's so many different religions because the demonic realm wants to make all these different religions. Just going back to Zozo. What are the characteristics that are generally assigned to Zozo? Generally, I, now, J.J., I am going to need your help on this. But if, if I'm not mistaken, Zozo, he, one of his main tactics is, is manipulation and confusion. Would you well, agree with that, J.J.? J.J. is shaking his okay. head. Okay. And see, and see that that's why that's why Zozo is so popular right now, and that's why a lot of people use him is because he brings on that confusion and that manipulation, and so he's therefore an easy target, whether he's made up or not, to to make to make good movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I look at the name Zozo, and I look at the Ouija board, and I go, well, okay, to get Zozo, you got to go back and forth as far as you can on the board, except that if you went all the way to the left, it would actually be an N, and Zin Zin doesn't sound as good. So we'll go to the letter next to N and go O. Okay, Zozo, that works, because we well, can well, easily swing back and forth and hit Zozo. i, I got to be honest with you. Every time that I've ever heard the name Zozo, I automatically thought of Bozo. <laughs> That's more plausible, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> do, but, do, you, but, do we know when it actually started, Who, where it actually I really originated? Don't. JJ, you said a creepypasta. Is there like a... A point in time where you ever identified the origin? Uh, While you're thinking about that, I got a question, and I'm sorry to admit that I don't know what you're talking about. What in the world is creepypasta? 
Oh, okay. Oh, no, it's a good question. Uh, creepypasta is... essentially it's just made up scary stories that can be about legends it can be about mythical creatures but really they are things that spread online and are meant to to they're just meant to frighten people but they have taken on a life of their own you know black-eyed children slender man zozo uh there's more than a few examples of them and they are even though how badly they are written they are extremely effective and they have spread like wildfire now i'm not discounting the black-eyed children now Oh, no, it was definitely a made-up story by a journalist in the 80s that have taken a life of their own, and it's complete BS. Well, no, no, no. What what I meant was the black eyes, because I've seen demon-possessed people that their eyes were... Oh, no, I'm not denying that aspect. I'm just saying that the idea that black-eyed children will, it's usually two at the time that will come up to your door and ask for permission to be in, and they play very much by vampire roles that I can't come into your house unless you explicitly invite me, and then bad things happen if you do, blah, blah, blah. So, Yeah. Well, so you got to make sure that your welcome mat doesn't say, yes, welcome, come on in. Exactly. <laughs> Although I will say that Jim Butcher had probably the best explanation of where that idea could have come from. And this idea that if you ever read the Dresden Files, which are pretty good, except for when they kind of go off the rails at the end. But uh, I watched the series. I don't. I've never watched the series. I've just read. I watched the, the series. It was pretty good. Uh, I liked it. The comics are pretty decent, too, from what I've heard. But anyway, it's this idea that home is where all of your energy resides, and it forms a natural protective barrier that keeps out things that are meant to cause you you know, antithetical harm. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well... I uh, have had, like I've told you, I've had one indirect experience with a Ouija board and chose very, very strongly that I would never have anything to do with a Ouija board again. I still remember Art Bell's hints that he... Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking. He had never told what the story was. No, he would just say that he was sent a very sure. ancient board and bad things happened, but he would never go into detail, ever. Well, maybe that was the deal. Don't tell about me, and I will, won't bother you anymore. Exactly. So, well, gentlemen, I think we've done a pretty good rundown tonight. Hey, before we end, can Josh share something? No. Yeah. No, never. <laughs> no. <laughs> of course Josh can share something. <laughs> What you want to share, Josh? Josh is as much a part of this as anyone else is, so heck yeah. Absolutely. It was just a crazy thought about Zozo. The way Dad was describing it, I immediately thought the words uh, scapegoat. Okay. And that reminded me of the passage in Leviticus about Azazel being the scapegoat. Uh, That's uh, true. uh, What word did you just say? 
Azazel. Azazel. Sorry, Okay, Josh, that was your last time. You can't talk anymore now, see? Azazel. You blew it, buddy. No, no, no. No, we are all friends. That was just a joke. When it comes to movies, that's one thing. When it comes to vernacular speech, that's a whole other thing. I'll put it that way. Hello again, everybody. This is the laid-back, relaxed version of Vicar Manson. Coming to you to just sign off the show. Was that a wild ride or what? Man, that's the best paranormal rundown ever. Well, the paranormal rundown is a joint production of Vicar Manson. That's me, J.J. Johnson, Dave Griffith, and Father Michael Birdsong. We don't deserve a crew like that, at least I don't. But hey, sometimes you get what you don't deserve. And you know what they say, if you can't get what you want, maybe you can get what you need. All the music you heard tonight was made by Lobo Loco, or it was just in the public domain, like this really grooving elevator music you're listening to right now. Any media clips you heard were used under the protection of the Fair Use Doctrine. Ain't that groovy? We'd love to hear from you. So, why don't you write to us at feedback at paranormalrundown.com That'd just be awesome. Excuse me, I just have a question. This is Avalon Lee and Dakworth Smythe. I'm just wondering, is that guy even awake?